When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to the latest episode of the Brighton Rock Podcast. The podcast about the beautiful club within the beautiful game. I'm at a noisy pub in London. Just introducing this episode where we have footage, a little bit of audio from the weekend away at Accrington and Morecambe with Peter and I. Then a very brief chat from Harrogate. Peter and I again trying to ground tick, this time unsuccessfully. And then, finally, but in the most part, it is an interview with Chris and Janet Jonas. Chris is chairman of Seagulls Over London. Chris and Janet went over to Qatar for the World Cup. We'll be chatting to them about their experiences on and off the pitch. Well, they weren't on the pitch, literally, of course, but you know what I mean. So, settle back, listen in for our latest episode. It's been the first one for a while, and uh, enjoy Right, Peter, it's the latest episode of the podcast, and here we are on the second ground of our weekend trip to the North West. Odyssey. Odyssey. Odd. odd. <laughs> <laughs> to tick off a couple more grounds. Yesterday, Friday, we went to Morecambe to watch them uh, bore out a one all with um, Exeter. Exeter, which was a bit boring, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it wasn't a great second half, actually. Quite a nice little ground, yeah. but not, not a great yeah, game. Yeah, Jensen Weir didn't really get in the game, was a bit so yeah. shame. We were hoping he'd score a last minute winner. Yeah, and it was ground number 87 for both of us. One slight difference between the service in terms of wear but apart from that we're on course to tick it all off at the same time so ground 87 and today we're at Atkinson Stanley do not say that no, no, don't I'm say it <laughs> um, Atkinson Stanley the crown ground by Atkinson, I'm not <laughs> the crown ground also known as the Wham Stadium at the moment uh, which I think is a sponsorship by the owner if I'm not mistaken something along those lines uh, not by George Michael no so ground number 88 for both of us <laughs> we also bumped into Tony and Kirsty, friends of the show and Seagulls Over London members Tony is actually uh, making it 92 today and Kirsty is making it 91 we'll hopefully catch up with them a little bit later on if we find them but in the meantime what did you make of Morecambe overall? Yeah, it wasn't the, the well the place or the fact that yeah we uh, it well, wasn't it wasn't a great game. We didn't see much of the town. No, we saw it in the dark and like, by car <laughs> on a grand tour. But yeah, it, was, it wasn't the greatest game ever. Uh, yeah, there was more. It was a decent first half and then a couple of goals and then second half it, it went downhill. Extra and all the possession really. You can yeah. see why Morecambe was struggling. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was. 
you could tell that yeah that one team was better actually just couldn't finish really yeah the main difference yeah um and then today, same division, similar type of scenario. We've got Accrington Stanley, another team playing in red, northwest side, against Oxford. What are you thinking for today? This could be a more entertaining game, actually. Could be, yeah. It's got a bit more of a fun vibe as well with this ground, isn't it, I think? Yeah, we're currently uh, currently enjoying a pint of Aki Ale, mm. which is... Uh, yep. From yeah. the something brewery, can't remember what it was. Uh, Boland Brewery. Boland Brewery, yeah. Which is, uh, you know, which is uh, all right. Obviously, for Saturdays like us, it's something we couldn't possibly turn down. Ticking off a new beer as well. And, um, and it's called Aki Ale, it's Aki like. Ale, brilliant. You've literally. Gotta, you've got to do that whenever it's It's also Aki, Aki Lager as well. Yeah. And I've had a steak and pepper pie, which is decent. Not too bad at all. And in the background, we've got Celeste playing, so there's a bit of a Brighton link yeah. going on there. Oxford still one up, Peter. 73 and a half minutes into this exhilarating encounter. <laughs> Hacky not looking that great, they just had a bit of a chance but nothing came of it, did it? Yeah, it's not looking good for my prediction for this week of Akron to the Morecambe. <laughs> like one point between them so far. Oh dear, oh dear, dear, oh dear. Anyway, there's still time. It's about probably 20 minutes of news. Oh, it takes a second to score a goal. <laughs> oh, we share the day. <laughs> Drinking loads of drinks and enjoying ourselves, aren't we, Peter? Speak for yourself. I've been having like lots of water. Mm, yeah, maybe not, maybe not. But it's been a wonderful weekend, despite the fact having ticked off a couple of grounds last weekend. Up in, we stayed in Lancaster. We ticked off Morecambe on Friday night. We ticked off Accrington on Saturday afternoon. And the following weekend, we came up to Harrogate and we had a lovely time. It's harrowing. Except for the fact there was no game because it was a frozen pitch. So we're still on 88 out of 92. Mm. But it's been great, hasn't it? Good fun. It's been a very fun, fun, fun day, barring also watching England lose as well. Yeah. Yes, we're speaking on the Saturday night now. Sunday morning, technically. Sunday morning. <laughs> yeah. And we've, we've been ripped off and we've been knocked out of the World Cup. And we've been thrown at Harrogate. Discuss, discuss, as we walk out the door. As we walk out of this lovely brew, brewing establishment. Discuss why and how we got knocked out. By cheating referees and uh, general cheating Frenchmen, basically. <laughs> cheating Frenchmen? It sounds very sinister. Sounds like I mean, plot. it was. Yeah. It, it was FIFA's plot led by Infantino and his cronies to uh, knock us out. Well, and the referee, obviously, as well. Last time we did a podcast, we were still in the group stages and we got through them. We beat Senegal very comfortably, 3 0. Yeah. We've, we've scored, what is it, 12 goals, is it? Conceded only two, three clean sheets in a row, played France, always going to be tough, and it turned out. They had 13 men. 13 men, yeah. Actually, <laughs> of, how many VAR men can have been played so. Yeah, there's all that, there's all that. And, uh, well, talk us through the, um, the disappointments. I mean, it's not, I mean, it's health and technical compared to cheating we've got against Villa, so, you know, I, uh, I'm, 
I'm going to get over it within about a, a day or so. Whereas like, Villa's, Villa, I'm still just over. Glad you got a dig in about Villa there. Very good. Yeah. Nice. Cheating Villa. <laughs> and uh, what were the particular incidents? Well, obviously the first goal was an absolute travesty. Yep. A foul on Saka. Yeah, clear foul on Saka that even a blind straight, man could have seen. Straight to the other Literally end of the goal. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, and yeah. T- it took a while apparently to get up there, 45 seconds or whatever, but apparently that means that VR can't get involved or yeah. it wasn't a fair or whatever. So, first incident didn't go for our favour. Yeah. Then what looked like a penalty on Kane, but might have been just outside the area, but we didn't get a free kick in the end for it. So that was clear a, view indeed. Yeah. So, yeah. quite yeah, irritating. And then, yeah, the, then we come back second half, blatant penalty, got it, scored. France then get an absolutely massive deflection, fortunate yeah. goal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then yeah we get like a and then we get a penalty which Kane misses Hernandez should have been sent off because he should have been booked a long time before after like basically hauling back Saka and then should have been booked again which he was for the penalty incident yeah and the uh, yeah the referee was basically well apparently it's like Wikipedia has an interesting review of him yeah I think so, yeah. They were changeable by the minute, weren't they? <laughs> Nothing to do with England fans, I'm sure. No, I'm Nothing sure they were, no. No, no. I'm sure it's all Frenchmen. And yet, yeah, yeah, the semi-finals now, it's Argentina against Croatia, who knocked out Brazil on penalties. Uh, and obviously, we've got Morocco, who's knocked out Spain, which is incredible. I, I called it. I knew it was going to happen. It did happen. They're playing now. Um, Portugal. They, oh, sorry, they played Portugal and they knocked out Portugal in the quarterfinals. Which led to my favourite in the World Cup, Ronaldo crying. Crying. And in his typical graceless and classless way, he strutted straight off the pitch. He didn't console his younger teammates. That, that's the way to act with class. So my, 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 my hope for the World Cup now is Argentina, McAllister. I want Messi to then prove once for all he's better than Ronaldo. My second choice is anyone but France. <laughs> so you'd like Argentina to beat Portugal or France in the final? No, you Morocco or France. Or Morocco. Sorry, yes, Morocco or France, yeah, in the final. And um, I want kind of, I want I want a Brighton player who won the World Cup. Now that's like my. Yeah. Name, my and name I've name. got this vision. I've had it for a couple Even of rounds. Probably means he won't play Southampton game. No, but I've had a couple of rounds of of games thinking and having this vision that McAllister is going to have a very significant part to play <laughs> good or bad. in the final no no good a good bet in the final I think he will be involved in the winning goal or winning penalty if it's a shootout in the final I think Argentina will get there I think they'll win it and I think he'll be involved even if it's off the bench well, he won't uh, go off the bench I think he's pretty, he's pretty much a permanent start yeah he, he probably will start yeah he yeah. started every game they've won and he's yeah. not started every game they've lost so I mean, yeah. it, not play every game they lost, so it's a bit of a no-brain to keep him in the team. McAllister. McAllister. Yeah. So, it's, it's been oh, interesting. No, <laughs> not till next Wednesday, at least. And there's been so many twists and turns, hasn't there, along the way. Like you said, he's, he's also been talked about quite a lot. He's such a good player for us. Yeah, uh, so glad yeah. he got that contract signed. Yeah, that was a Brilliant. very big thing. Mitoma, mainly off the bench, was coming on. He was making an impression. Yeah. Japan were great, and then they just were so, so shit at penalties, weren't they? They made us look good at penalties. It was that bad. And then Spain, then Spain made the, the next look good. <laughs> yeah, they were even worse. They lost 3-0 on penalties which, which in the so shootout. Uh, anyone who's a listener <laughs> wants to write in, 
Has there ever been a nil nil draw after five penalties? That would be exactly. That would be brilliant to know. Exactly. The highlights of this tournament, and there are highlights. They are. They are. They are in there. Morocco. Their their yeah, continued well, voyage. Japan generally. Japan in general was great, and there's been some some happy moments in general. The downside. Well, we've had. A, uh, a a British journalist. Oh, that upside was uh, Qatar getting thrashed or getting beaten by every team and getting the worst group record ever. Yeah, the first host nation. Uh, I think it might be to not win any of the yeah, games, but definitely not to get any points. And they got no points at all. Which yeah, brilliant. No, I think it's to win the games at all. That that was brilliant. It's also been a tournament where. We've had Iranian, the, the Iran thing is off the scale. Yeah. Iran has been. I mean, you've had people, as Amir we have on the podcast, saying about how people were monitoring for the government. Yeah, they were monitoring the players and fans. There was watchers in the crowd on the streets with binoculars who were scanning Iranian citizens, looking for people they could identify and um, use information on. Uh, should they ever be in? Or returning back to Iran. Yeah, it's, it's a disgrace. It's a disgrace. There pe- there people have been gunning down in the streets here uh, over this. It's just a disgrace. And yet, you've got to feel for the Iranians. So it's, it's a real, it's a real in between two points situation, isn't it? Because they want to uh, create a lot of. Oh, there's another path that might be open. That's the one I was talking about, Starling. Nice place in Harrogate. Check that one out, Peter, later on. But anyway, um, you, you want to flag up all the issues, and I think being at the World Cup does do that. It does do that. But also, at the same time, um, it does flag up the issues, but at the same time, it does also... Um, cause, cause a fractious issues back home. Yeah, because because what's happening is you've got a nation that's being represented by a team, and that team doesn't want to represent the regime. Yeah. The fans don't want it to represent the regime, and they're caught between a rock and a hard place because they, they're not singing the national anthem. They're then getting threatened with all sorts of punishments or, or threats to their family by not. By not, by not um, singing the national anthem, it's crazy stuff, horrendous times. So we've had all that. We've had all that. Uh, but overall, though, Peter, what's your take on this World Cup on the pitch? What's your thoughts on it? It's been very entertaining. A lot of ways. There's been a lot of interesting games. A lot of like, stuff going on off the pitch. It's a disgrace the way Qatar government and the Qatari, yeah, the way of behaving has been disgraceful. Things that, you know, if, if they brought up things like alcohol before the tournament, like when he's first, like, bought, basically bought it off, then it would be fine. Similarly, if, they, if, they, if they'd applied on basically the December, November tournament, it would be fine. But yeah. they, they basically ripped everyone off and then, like, it's like, so. Yeah. Also, by the way, uh, hang your head in shame. If you're listening, they're talking about having an Olympic bid for 2036. The IOC, IOC, if you ever go anywhere near that place, an Olympic host, then you should be shot. Sporting morals are redundant. So anything is anything is is doable now. To be honest, as you're probably hearing, as we walk through the streets of Harrogate, the busy part of Harrogate, (laughs) we've definitely found the lively part, haven't we? 
Uh, not that we haven't had a bit of a lively night already tonight. Apparently there's Duke's well up for partying, but we're like, we want to go home now. Duke is the dog, by yeah. the way, in case Duke, anyone's Duke wondering. Duke's like, well up for a party time, you know. I mean, he's got a Christmas dancing. jumper on, I've got a Christmas jumper on. It, it, it's a festive period, we're moving into it now. We're starting our festivities we're, we're tonight. we're not far from Albion being back. Exactly, yeah. A week and a half from uh, yeah. party time in Charlton. It's the World Cup, it's Christmas, Peter. <laughs> the usual. Obviously. <laughs> Uh, what we're doing, we're just doing a brief one today. Essentially, the plan is we are having a chat with the Proud Seagulls. I think that will be the next podcast. It's going to be very interesting to hear their views on on guitar. And, well, I think we can guess a number of them already, but to hear their views on guitar is Not going to be interesting. Positive. No, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> exactly. Yeah, it's going to be interesting shall we say well, and I'll turn around from that Are you, uh, do you have any views on people drinking Leeds United beers I knew this was coming up right we've been out and about we've had a load of drinks I must have had about 30 or 40 different drinks over the weekend I've not had anyway, any this is thirds mainly in thirds by the way I'm not drinking that much by 30, the way. 30 pints but, but we, I did indulge in a Leeds United it was some what was it called what was the exact I've, name I've, of I've it? ditched the name from my memory You're Some, something it. Something times IBUs times Leeds United, and the actual brew was called the Square Ball, which is the name of Leeds United fanzine. So it's a collaborative thing. And yes, I did. I only all I did, all I did was have a sip of your wife's beer, rated it on Untapped, and apparently I've turned into this pariah figure. Yes, pariah is the right word. <laughs> you didn't have it, of course, because no. you hate Leeds so much. You can't. Called. You can't drink a decent beer, even if it's got a bad name. Well, there's a lot of other decent beers <laughs> that don't have a bad name. <laughs> well, that's true, yeah. If it was but, the only decent beer in the whole place, I probably would have done better. But I had to yeah. have it just to annoy you, and it's worked. It's worked really well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I knew you. <laughs> um, I can't remember what else has happened. There's been so many things to discuss. We'll probably have to off. catch up with a load of other stuff later. Yeah, we've missed out on the bloody uh, the Harrogate game, so we're still on 88 out of 92. Yeah. So, just... Well, we've both got Harrogate to do, we've both got Fleetwood to do, we've both got Barrow to do, and my fourth one is uh, Salford, yours is Wimbledon. Yeah. It may take us into next We're season. We're doing better than Duke, though. We'll get there in the end. Duke's got 92 to do. Duke, Duke the dog, yeah. has 92 to so he's, he's not very well. So he, he's not been to any grounds? No. Right. Yeah, he, he might be out of the equation, to be honest. I think he'll get there before us. <laughs> I don't think he will, no, no. He's like, he, he does look like he's determined now, though, he might do. There has been an up, upsurge in the interest in a load of people we know in ticking off the 92. We have Chris yeah. and Janet. This weekend was actually a huge blow for us. It was a huge blow. Chris and Janet, friends of the show, uh, Seagulls Over London members. Chris is the chairman of Seagulls Over London. They're England fans, they're over in Qatar. We're hoping to get them on the podcast to talk about the World Cup and their experiences over there, good, bad and ugly. Um, that, I guess they won't be hyping the good. No, but but Chris, Chris is going to tick off Fleetwood on FA Cup third round day. That's going to be 92 for him. Tony Brown, who joined us in going to Morecambe on the Friday and Accrington on the Saturday afternoon Accrington last Sunday. weekend. Who were they? <laughs> Don't do it. Stop it. Uh, Tony and Kirsty, they went... So both those games last weekend, same as us, it was Tony's 91st and 92nd grounds. 
Kirsty's on 91. Tony has completed the 92. Can we just say congratulations to him? Congratulations what, to him. What yeah. an achievement. Yeah, you're well ahead of Duke. Yeah. Very well ahead of Duke. And Chris, if he does do the 7th of January thing, he will complete his 92. So, a big up to those guys. Uh, a number of other people, friends of the show, are very close, or they're getting all the more interested in taking off grounds. It's become a thing amongst us Albion fans, hasn't it? Well, it's, it's obviously with the World Cup, it's been quite an opportunity. Sadly, today wasn't to be, but... Uh... Yeah. It's an excuse to come back to a very, very good town. Harrogate is a lovely pub. place. It's great very place. good pubs. Friendly people, great shops, great beers, great pubs, and... Uh, some, some average company. I'd say the same, actually, yeah. But apart from that, it's been, it's been good. The, the local people are friendly. Yeah. We have the Christmas markets, of course. So it was a, it was a good weekend to have a cancelled, postponed fixture, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it's much better than having it last weekend when we'd have had to go back separate times to multiple records. Yeah. yeah. We placed ourselves in Lancaster. I caught up with some old friends of mine, James and Sarah, in Lancaster. We stayed there, didn't we? Uh, in, the, in, in that city. We went back there for uh, Fleetwood and, and uh, Barrow, so. Yeah. So. There's always a quest, there's always a plan, there's always a future uh, thing to go for. But in the meantime, Peter, um, any further thoughts on the World Cup or the football world in general over the last what, like, week or two? I can't wait for Alvin to come back now. Yeah, yeah, most I of them are I can't wait back. To, be at, to be at Charleston a, couple of week, a week and a half, and then Southampton in two weeks tomorrow. Oh, we've got to mention um, the World Cup. Yes, we've had, I think we've, we've only had five people, is it, have represented the Albion as current players at the World Cup in the future, in the past ever. In the future. <laughs> in, the, <laughs> in the past. And uh, we've, this very tournament, we've not only equaled that on its own, but we've actually had eight in one tournament. Three of them at Ecuador, of One course. of whom's got semi-finals, so... Yeah. yeah. I'm throwing my, throwing my weight behind Ali Mack and, uh, and Lionel Messi. Yeah. Not that to help in any way whatsoever, but... McAllister, McAllister, he, he's still there. He's still in the tournament. Semi-final level. The three Ecuadorian lads, Caicedo, Estupina, and Sarmiento yeah. are all out. Itama is out. Terrible penalty in the shootout, by the way. Uh, who else is out? Sanchez is out. Spain was surprised. They are out. Um, oh, obviously, Ghana, Lamptey, yeah, he's out. And we are, we are down to this one. Who else has missed, who? Was there someone else I've missed out? There's probably someone else. There was, but I People are screaming at the, uh, at their phones now. Uh, but essentially, seven out of eight are out. Alexis McAllister with Argentina goes into the semi-finals. Oh, Trossard. Oh, Trossard's that one, yeah. yeah. Um, they should have played Trossard more. But they didn't. They didn't, they didn't see the Hazard coming. <laughs> Ali Mack is the last man standing, and I've got a vision of him doing something in the final. We'll see if it happens. We don't know what you're on, though, to be fair. <laughs> One way or the other. Uh, it's been brilliant for him. It's been great for yeah. the Albion. Lots of publicity, lots I mean, of mentions of the club. He's literally played every game that they've won and not played every game they've lost. Yeah. I mean, what's that say? Yeah. The downsides, well, we've seen... We've, we've seen... He's what, in the final. Well, I was going to say the downsides are Welsh fans with bucket hats with rainbows on have been banned. A journalist with a rainbow yeah. t-shirt has been banned. And a journalist guys. with a rainbow a mask has been banned. As you said, the rainbow t-shirt guy, 
American journalist, 48 years old, has actually died, apparently of a heart attack or heart failure yeah, well, related. I've heard a lot of Qatari um, the migrant workers also died of as well, so we can believe that or not. Yeah, let's, let's just say we don't know what happened. He looks very healthy from the photos I've seen. Whatever's happened there, it may genuinely be a thing, but... It, it seems suspicious that to one person, one journalist who had a rainbow t-shirt suddenly... And spoke out a lot. Hmm. Yeah. Are we being a bit too cynical there, Peter? Well, no, because Germans haven't died at previous World Cups, so it's, it's a funny coincidence. Yeah. Dare we say, who knows, who knows, we'll leave that one lingering. So that was me and Peter from the Harrogate game. Didn't tick off our ground, but we did have a lovely weekend. Um, unfortunately, of course, that did include seeing England get knocked out. Um, well, we move on to the, the, to the final part, the main part of this podcast, which is to welcome for, I think it's their debut, unless you've had a very brief... I've um, been on. You've been, you've been on, haven't you, Chris? Yeah, I been on before, yeah. I well, to welcome you in, in full entirety, we have Mr. Chris Jonas and Mrs. Janet Jonas. Welcome to the podcast, folks. How are you? Hi, good. Very good, thanks, Russ. Thank you. Great to have you both with us. Um, and you have just arrived back home because you, as well as being avid Albion fans and Seagulls Over London members, and in fact, Chris, you are the chairman now of Seagulls Over London for the last, what is it, a year or so, is it now? Yeah, Eight six months, months, maybe. Six oh, months, yeah. Um, yeah. You're also avid England fans, and you travel home and away to both the Albion and for England games, both of you. Um, and... Um, You've just got back, so I want to hear all about Qatar and what it was like. Um, as you guys know, I've been quite um, dissenting of it being a, a location to host the tournament. But um, there's been a lot of fuss around the tournament itself. But um want to get into the nitty-gritty of what it was like. So we'll come to that in a second. But first of all, um, disappointment with England, of course, getting knocked out. Semi-finals we couldn't quite make um, this year. Uh, you were at all of the England games, I assume. Yeah, we went to all... Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll, <laughs> I'll ask you about that um, in a moment. But what was your overall experience then of, of Qatar? The good, the bad and the ugly. Tell us, talk us through it, guys. But, um, in terms of it, it was a great holiday. So we were away for four weeks, 28 days, in fact. We left on, tw- uh, yeah, we left in the middle of November and got back in the middle of December back, yeah, only, only back yesterday. So it was a fantastic four week trip. We had some winter sunshine when it was cold and damp here. So we had a brilliant time. We went to five countries, two new countries, and we had uh, some good friends who are also England fans, uh, traveled around with us. So in that sense, it was, it was a really nice holiday, uh, of which football was slightly incidental really, but, uh, yeah, we enjoyed it. Yeah, and you bumped into a couple of Seagulls over London members as well, I think, over there, according to pictures. Yeah, that's saying. right. Yeah, there's a couple of other members there. So there was uh, Nigel and Nick. Nick. And Neil. Yeah, Nick stroke Nigel. <laughs> oh, yes. I'm yeah. quite sure what his name is, official <laughs> name is. And Neil we met, who very kindly uh, let us leave our bags at his house at one yeah. day in his apartment. We also saw Paul Camlin, who's obviously one of the Brighton media director, and Derek Chapman, who's one of the Brighton directors there as well, who were both there as fans in fan capacity rather than any official capacity. So we had a good chat with them as well, which was nice. Yeah, and and Paul is an avid big fan. I think you've seen quite a bit on 
way to stand you, Paul Cameron? Yeah, Paul Cameron is a fan like us. He's a top capper. That means he's been to every game like us. So we see him quite often. We bump into him. For the first time, actually, we did arrange to meet up with him and we actually went for a very nice lunch when Jeff and Kat, also Seagulls over London members, uh, our children were there. And uh, so the five of us went for a very nice lunch in the souk in Doha. Yeah, brilliant. You mentioned um, five countries and two new ones. So you were obviously the whole tournament was was located in Qatar. A lot of people were living for the period of time of the tournament elsewhere and travelling in. Is that, that I presume that's the case with you guys, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, we 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 stayed in um, Qatar, you know, on several occasions of um, oh, yeah. games, but but also for longer periods. But we did make a decision to take the opportunity to visit other places in the region while we were there, um, you know, to, you know, just expand the sightseeing, but also, um, you know, because the accommodation everywhere else was considerably cheaper and often better quality. So there, there was a kind of a balance. And I think, you know, within Qatar, there, there is a limited amount of sightseeing opportunities as well. So I think it very much needed um, other activities. If you were going to go to every England game over a, a one month period, it, it was good to be able to visit elsewhere to you know get some more stimulation really. Yeah, it's often cheaper for us to get a flight out and then stay in a sensibly priced hotel somewhere else for three or four and days. Then come back again. Mm. But we did spend quite a lot of time in Qatar and mm. we spent enough time there to get a feel for what it was like. Mm. So um, I think we did a bit. The five countries we went to, obviously Qatar, we went to Saudi Arabia to Jeddah, which was an interesting experience. Then on to Kuwait. Um, which again surprised us. I thought it was going to be smarter. It was quite scruffy. You think with their wealth that it would have been smarter. Uh, to Oman, which we've been to before, which we do like and would be a great place for a winter sunshine holiday, but for anyone who fancies that, very neat, tidy, friendly and more relaxed on the alcohol. And, and a lot to see. And a lot to see. Some good history, some good cities in the interior and some landscapes. And then finally we had a, few days in Cairo and Egypt, which we have been to before, but, you know, absolutely fantastic to see the pyramids again uh, and to see Tutankhamun and the mask, which I think I saw as a schoolboy when I was about 12, so <laughs> see it a second time. And a total awesome. contrast to um, Qatar as well, you know, very different ends of the spectrum in terms of, um, you know, noise and bustle and, um, you know, yeah. everything. In terms yeah. of Qatar itself, it is one city, really, it's one country with one city, which is Doha. Uh, and it's the capital on the uh, eastern coast. And there's not a lot of accommodation there. And FIFA um, sort of took a cartel over all the accommodations. That did cause issues that it was hard to book the accommodation. The accommodation was expensive and it was totally inflexible. So mm. you couldn't cancel it if England were knocked out you if you booked it you couldn't cancel it and get your money back so that made it very different from other World Cups that we've been to where there's other towns and cities you can drive in on the day when there'd be a multitude of options so that was a downside was the, the price of accommodation the inflexibility of the accommodation and the limited amount of accommodation um, and that's again why we moved in and out uh, in terms of Qatar the people were fantastic everyone was friendly um, I don't know that we ever spoke to a, a local Qatari, but we spoke to a lot of locals who were a lot of these sort of um, immigrant workers who were there, and they, they were brilliant. They loved football. They loved England. If you got on the metro, they got up. 
Uh, every time it made me feel old because everyone got up for me and then they get up for Janet. So, <laughs> so, you know, everyone was just so polite. They give you directions. They spoke English very well. Really enthusiastic. Yeah. So um, in that sense, it was lovely. You know, the, um, yeah. there's a couple of excellent museums in, uh, uh, Qatar. The National Museum is well worth a visit mm, for anyone fantastic. who wants to go and see that. Very modern. Um, and the sports museum that we went to, the 321 Sports and Olympic Museum, to use its title, was actually very surprisingly good. So there was a couple of good things there. But then once you've done that, that's it. Yeah. You know, what else do you do? We walked the Corniche, which is about three miles long and a bit barren, really, but a lovely arc around the bay. Yeah. Um, so that was nice. Uh, and that was it. We, we did hire a car for a couple of days, and we drove out to the East Coast. But West Coast. The, West Coast, sorry, but there's nothing there. You know, they've sort of scouted <laughs> the land for building materials, and there's a five-lane each-way highway out to nowhere on the East Coast. And yeah. then they built the infrastructure, but there's nothing there. And, and few people. Yeah, so then you get to the East Coast, and the beaches were barren. There was no resorts or anything there. Um, mm-hmm. One was a sort of Qatar Energy City work town, and the and the highlight was the McDonald's, and that was it. it seriously, was it? And so, yeah. There's, other than the Doha, there was nothing. Else. We did see some wild camels. That was quite mm. interesting. So, at least we saw that. But you know, once you're out the town, there isn't really much else to to Qatar. Yeah. Listening to some of the podcasts from the you know, on the national scale, uh, journalists that are over there, I think one or two of them took wrong directions. And it was only when they're going in the wrong wrong way for long enough, probably on the road you mentioned, they realised they were just seeing more and more barren landscape and just camels, wild, wild camels. Yeah. <laughs> I think we've taken the wrong turn here, boys. Yeah. So there's a bit of that going on. Um, it sounds as if everything's very p- pristine, very well organised. Um, I know, obviously, the, the thing about alcohol was it was all, all to do with in confined areas, Behind closed doors, essentially, wasn't it? Or in the, in the yeah. fan box. Um, I'm presuming you didn't go to the fan box on account of the fact there's so many games to catch in a short period. Well, we went there on the last day just to, so that we could see it. Hmm. Yeah. The day of the so the, the people wanted to talk about the fan park. Yeah, it was the day of the semi final. We, we were flying home that night and we could actually say we'd been there and we'd seen it. And to be honest, it was a waste of time. The security to get in it was horrendous. So they took the water off me, my water bottle. They took two pens, biros, out of Janet. And the kid in front of us, they took their sweets off them. And said, you can't go in with sweets, you've got to eat them outside. And this was sort of military-level security. It was Was more security in the fan part than there was into the stadium. For the stadium, it was appropriate for security. Or the fan part, it was ridiculous. So this was just at the fan park, this, all this security conversation. Well, the security was quite heavy. I mean, and, and, you know, we went to Euro 2020 final yeah. in 21 at Wembley, which was absolutely the worst game in the several thousand games I've been in. So, you know, the, the security at that is what we should have had at Wembley. The security yeah. I thought was fine. It was appropriate. It was lots of people, but light-handed. And everyone, again, was smiley and friendly. As they were at the fan park, but you know, you don't need to be taking sweets off the kids in front of their snacks and chocolate and stuff. And, and yeah. then when you get in, there really wasn't anything in there. There was a big stand, a uh, big screen where they were playing DJ sets and songs with some quite strong swear words, which I won't repeat on here, but, uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> surprises. No alcohol, but lots of swear words. Lots of smoking. And the other thing, we can talk more about the beer and stuff and the situation with alcohol, but you know, they ban that, but everyone smokes. 
So which I think is probably worse for my health as I don't smoke and probably worse for their health than than alcohol. Yeah, I guess it's centered around behavior. And I know in a couple of messages you put on the seagulls over London WhatsApp, you're describing the, um, uh, sort of the, how, what the fan experience in terms of obviously there's no, al- no major scale alcohol drink, uh, drinking going on and therefore behavior is, is changed, which is maybe the one good thing from that is you avoid the, the more rowdy, shall we say out of hand um, behavior by a number of groups of fans, England not least, we have to say, um, amongst those that do tend to get into that. And you said that was noticeable by its absence because of, I guess, partly the, the cost of getting over there was more than average and also the fact that people weren't going to be able to drink and have a normal, whatever you might call a normal tournament fan experience. Do, do, would you say that was the case? And could you expand on those, those elements, guys? Um, well, I think there was no kind of happy medium in terms of atmosphere and, and alcohol. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you know, f- first on the alcohol, there's there's a bit of double standards going on here in that you can drink alcohol in the more upscale um, hotels and, um, you know, with bars. But also yeah. people with licences can have alcohol in their apartments as well. And that wasn't very commonly known. And but there was, no, there was no shortage of alcohol for members of the media in the apartments they're staying in. And then at the stadia, but also in van parks in designated areas, there's hospitality areas, which are, you know, expensive and limited in who can come in. And apparently it's okay for them to drink, you know, including right before the match. But it's not okay for the rank and file in case the rest of the population are exposed to, um, you know, scenes of people drinking. So there's no happy medium. You can go to a restaurant and have a, bottle of wine or a couple of beers you know before or after the game so and I think then in terms of you know fan experiences I think there are a lot of nations where alcohol isn't a big thing so most you know Islamic countries were you know their behavior was perfectly normal and you know involved a lot of cheering and whistling and and dancing and so you know they were perfectly upbeat and happy but i think it did sort of flatten the the sort of fan behavior and experience you know particularly of the northern european nations perhaps some of the south american teams i think the um, numbers of england fans were significantly down it wasn't that great in russia four years earlier and there weren't significant numbers less than 3000 i think was the number that was quoted and there were some comments on various England fans groups, a bit like our Seagulls over London groups that we're members of, um, saying there was too many middle-aged couples on holiday there, which we think <laughs> was probably a dig at us. Unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> we were slightly older than the age group they were having a dig at. And, and there were a lot of middle-aged couples there. And we're the sort Absolutely. of people that can take time off just before Christmas. Because um, we're spending our kids' inheritance, we can actually decide that we can afford it. And both of us are retired, so... Yeah, we were there on holiday and there were people like us and the younger drinking crowd weren't there in, yeah. in the numbers that they would do. And the other thing that slightly counted against us, and it was for TV really, is that we had four of our games were at 10 o'clock mm. in the evening, uh, kickoff time, local time, and three of them were at the Stadium Outback, um, which is the most distant from the central Doha. So it took two hours to get there, and it was all very easy to get there. You just got on the metro and then one of the thousands of 
shuttle buses. So there's no complication in getting there. Or difficulty. Yeah. And so you just follow the crowds really. And so that was easy and incredibly well organized. Um, but it meant it, you had to get there two hours to make sure you got through the security and got your tickets done. We were typically getting to the grounds four and a half, five hours early. I mean, anyone who'd been drinking in Doha was totally sober by the time they got to the ground some four hours later. And you couldn't get ground uh, beer at the ground, which I thought was a real act of bad faith. Mm. You know, Especially for that, for that, when people have travelled for a while without yeah. drinking anyway. It's not as yeah. if they're going to be... Uh, I it just two days before. I think it was mis-selling, really. I think that whether the, who we have, FIFA or Qatar authorities, whether they knew they were going to do that and just withdraw it two days before. I mm. think that was a total act of bad faith. Yeah. Um, so it did mean, though, that you couldn't drink at the stadium. And by the time you get to the stadium, anyone who had been drinking was thoroughly sobered up because it was yeah. just, you got there so early and so and long. As you've said before, by the time you get back from the stadium as well, everything's closed. So you can't even have, have a drink or much of a drink when you get back. That's either. it. I mean, we none of our games went to added time, extra time or penalties, but they all finished at midnight. And then the two hours to get back to your place, so you're well after two o'clock in the morning. Yeah, mostly, they bad anyway, then, don't they? They shut by three mostly, don't they? But of course so you can't. Orders at two. There's no off licenses and stuff. You can't have a beer in your room because that's, not allowed. So. You can't even walk from, you know, the bar with a glass in your hand to go to anywhere else in the hotel. So you can't even, you know, walk with a, a pint of beer from the right. bar back to your room. Because so will you stop from doing other people to the site of you with alcohol? So in that sense, it was probably healthy for us because we drank less than we would have done. You know, had it been a normal sort of football trip, we would have drunk. Mm. Well, I mean, we drink, as you know, but we don't drink to excess. But that was a, a, a downer. The atmosphere at the stadiums was definitely quieter. I think I said on the well, WhatsApp group that, you know, for the France game, which is our most important game for many years, the quarterfinal of the World Cup, you could hear the players on the pitch shouting to each other. It was like being at a non-league game. At times. <laughs> at times. So it was good that, you know, you you go to the loo at half-time. There's, there's no rush for the loo because no one's been drinking. They don't need to go like they do. <laughs> and the stadium facilities were absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Everything's spotlessly clean. And everyone's um, really polite. No one's barging into you. Plenty of people clean, cleaning up, clearing yeah, up. Someone actually spilled a, a can of coat just in front of us. And within two minutes, they'd come and mopped it up. You imagine that at Wembley. Yeah. yeah. I can only imagine. Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, it, it was a strange atmosphere. Everyone was polite. Everyone was friendly. Um, but then there was a lack of singing and a lack of atmosphere, I, I felt. And I think that's not just down to alcohol. It's also, I think, down to the numbers of England fans yeah, the that were there. The all the, the, all the, the fans that weren't there. And, you know, there probably were a number of reasons that led people to decide to give this tournament a swerve, mm. not least the expense, but also the complexity of the arrangements to get there. Mm. It, it was not, it was not customer friendly. Yeah, um, you had to get the hire card, which is effectively the visa. And that was a complex, torturous process to get it. But once you got it, it was fantastic because that then gave you easy access to the stadium, easy access to the free access to all the transport, metro, trains, trams, whatever, um, and easy access through the airport. And, and again, there were some good things, you know, that the, the, the metro was good, the taxes were cheap and plentiful, and getting through Hamad International Airport in Doha was a breeze. You just walked out through the E-gate and out the other side. Yeah. And the same 
in and out, you know, so that was a breeze. The only time I had to stop because the e-gate wouldn't work was at Gatwick when we got home yesterday. <laughs> and all, all the flights were on time, you know, all the arrangements were oh, fantastic. Yeah. And it really was, you know, if you compare it to the usual experience in the UK recently, it was head and shoulders better than anything, you know, we've we've had yeah. late in the UK. And the, and Another good thing, I mean, the food in the restaurants was good. So you could go up market. We did eat in a smart restaurant with our friends early on in Nobu, which was brilliant, but not cheap. But then most of the time we ate locally. And you could go into a local restaurant and everyone was so charming to us, friendly, didn't necessarily speak perfect English, but, you know, you sort of all muddled through with a big smile and pat on the back. And the food was cheaper than at home. And it was lovely, chicken, kebabs, rice, chips, whatever, salad. Um, and so that side of it was brilliant. We we loved all that. Just no beer with it. Yeah. Well, in terms of cuisine, you mentioned sort of kebabs and various things. Is there a particular cuisine uh, distinct for Qatar? Um, because I'm not aware of what particularly. Is it just sort of a generic kind it's of very uh, Middle Eastern influence? Yeah. But also, it's had a big trading position historically. So originally, it was very important for pearling, and it had trade routes with India. Um, the Levant, um, but also Africa. And so the cuisine is influenced by that. So, you know, apart from sort of typical Middle Eastern dishes and a lot, you know, a lot of, you know, rice, um, you know, with different kinds of grilled meat and whatever. Um, there's that you can get a lot of Indian food, Persian food, Turkish food. Um, so uh, it's quite various. Everywhere you went, they had hummus and multiple Lentil snacks soup. of bread. Yeah, <laughs> hummus and bread was a big thing. salad's my favourite. But the other thing is, which we're not that keen on is there was big shopping malls <laughs> in virtually every city that we went to, um, not just in Doha, but the ones in Doha were incredible. So, you know, you can imagine Westfields out of Stratford or whatever, and then double that in size, and then have the number of restaurants. And so. In those restaurants, there was restaurants from all over the world. So you could have pizza, you could have pasta, you could have Chinese, you could have Turkish. Um, it, there was even fish and chip shops that called themselves British fish and chips. So I was just going to say, with the with the um, historical connections to England in the past, I wondered if it was there's going to be any uh, fish and chips, meat and potato pies, or uh, yeah. roast beef and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, there was. Well, it, fish and chips. Yeah. So yeah. you could get really any cuisine, but you know. We wanted to try the local stuff. We tried the local restaurants and it was good value and good food. Mm. And you know, none of us, we've been away four weeks. None of us were ill at all. So, mm. so it's quite a relaxing experience apart from the inflexibility of tickets and some of the travel yeah. times and elements like that, obviously, and, and, the, and the, the drink. But other than that, generally, it sounds like a positive experience. I know everything seemed to be very clean, very efficient, very well organized. Yeah. Um, you know, from that side of it, it's good, good to hear, certainly. Um, and um, I think there, there wasn't any kind of trouble or issues that have been reported from, you know, from over here, hearing about it, with the exception of, I think, some ticketing issues um, for the Morocco, one of their games, I think it might have been against Spain, where they, I think people were ticketless trying to get in, Morocco fans, which caused some disturbance. I don't think it was anything bad going on, but other than just a general kerfuffle on quite a large scale. But um, I think that's the only issue. And I know there was a heavy police presence and um, apparently loads of people farmed in from Turkey because they just don't have that sort of sizable security force and so apparently there's more people in from Turkey to cover the potential for a, a, a complete inundation of Moroccan fans trying to get in for that semi-final 
I think um, if you were trying to jib your way in like they did at Wembley for the Euro 2020, you'd have to be incredibly optimistic because <laughs> it was military level security. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the gates and everything, you had to get through about six different gates just to get in, and you had to have all the matching paperwork and tickets and everything. So to, to try that and bluff your way in, I think you had to be incredibly optimistic. Um, it would have been great to see the crowd that did get into Wembley actually attempt it there and see what happened to them. There was, a approach, there was really about three checks. There was yeah. one on the perimeter, and then as you approach the gate, you, you'd show the hire card and your ticket again and you'd get then get it scanned and then you would go through the turnstile and uh, well, the, the security checks and then later on you'd go to the turnstile but you'd already been well checked by then mm. and there was police and security safe. everywhere and they also brought in a lot of the pakistan uh, security forces as well okay. um, and they're all in the uniforms but they're all incredibly charming so you can walk six foot down the street and say hello to about three different security guards you know, private ones imported ones maybe some local ones as well but they're all charming they're all helpful if you looked at your map or anything people come and help the security would come and help you know we even saw security guards people help putting their making sure they got their Arab type dresses on straight so mm. you know people were actually so the security was there and you didn't want to mess with it and you don't want to end up in a Qatari jail I'm sure but you know a lot of it but very light handed yeah I don't know what you picked up on in terms of while you were over there in terms of reporting um but um, there, there was a few things going on behind the scenes obviously people trying to wear rainbow bucket hats or particularly Wales fans I think rainbow flags confiscated various other things confiscated I think you mentioned one of your Spurs sporting mates had an England flag with a Tottenham thing on that got confiscated because it had yeah. words on quite a bit I agree that was just to go into the museum before the first game. So, well, yeah. you know, a couple of days before the first game. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they, did, they didn't want things with what they thought were slogans. Yeah. To be fair, I mean, on that Tottenham one, it was the first time and it was, it was actually going, the, the museum was inside the security of the ground, although it wasn't a match day on, so it was match day security. Oh, yeah. After that, they introduced a, a flag verification point. They took a picture of it and sent it to someone, maybe someone from the English FA, <laughs> who approved it instantly mm-hmm. or not. So everyone, I think, pretty much got their flags in that they wanted, unless it said something horrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in terms of the rainbow armbands and all that sort of stuff, uh, I saw quite a few rainbowy things around. I saw a rainbow house. on one of the pictures, which is quite funny. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I just feel these these are tokens that we get upset about. You know, if we want to have a proper discussion about equality, about LGBT and stuff, we should have that. And, and it's not just Qatar that believes that. That is quite common in the Arab world. And, you know, eight of the thirty-two countries there still have homosexuality uh, as illegal. And so do we say, well, we're not going to Qatar because we don't like their views. And therefore, none of the countries that go that, that have those views should play there either. In which case, we'd end up with a very small number of countries that would either play us or we want to play. So, you know, I think there's a lot of hypocrisy around this stuff. You know, clearly, everyone is equal. We should all be treated equally. And, you know, everyone should have the right human rights and do what they like. Uh but if they don't, does that stop us going there? You know, I don't believe, I'm not religious, I don't believe in any of the religions, but, you know, I go to a wedding or a christening or whatever to support the people that are going there. You know, yeah. you made a point on your one of your pods, Russ, you know, 
how will we look back? We'll be ashamed that we all did this in 50 years' time. But we shouldn't forget, 56 years ago, England won the World Cup in England at Wembley, where homosexuality was illegal. Absolutely. So in 1966, yeah. in England, homosexuality was illegal. Yeah, we, it is Qatar, perhaps in 50 years, 56 years, perhaps things like this, yeah. things like this have actually improved the workers' lives. The, the terms and conditions of the workers have been improved. Um, and maybe, you know, opening up the world like that, actually participating and having some dialogue and seeing what the rest of the world does, maybe in 56 years' time, you know, we go back to Qatar and it would have changed, as it had has in England. Yeah, absolutely. Certainly time is, is a great element in this. You look at, um, someone was talking, I think it was Tim Vickery, the South American football pundit, who was talking about, um, the Suarez handball, and he didn't understand why there's such a big fuss about that with the Ghana game from a few years back. Um, mm-hmm. he said Jack Charlton handballed it at the, in the 96, 1966 tournament, and it was just said, well, we had to do that, and the game just carried on. Yeah. So things have changed, perceptions do change. I do think, if it, if it can help in any way in the future, um, even if there's a little bit of gristle and clashes, cultures going on here, if in the future it does help aid and improve matters uh, for equality, then great. I do think it's a very odd anomaly um, in the history of the game, obviously not only for the fact it's a, a single country of incredibly small size hosting, which is the first time, first time it's been in the Arab world, first time it's been a winter tournament. There's been a lot of firsts. Um, in terms of the general structure and arrangement, as well as firsts on the pitch as well. Um, but um, it's it's going to be interesting to see how it's viewed over time. You're absolutely right about uh, what you said there about homosexuality being banned at the time when the World Cup was on in England. Um, women's football banned for 50 years until the 70s, which yeah. is absolutely shameful. Admittedly, we've moved on from that, and we, we just hope other countries can move on where that is the same circumstance there. A lot of the bans on homosexuality were actually introduced by European countries when the the, the African and Arab countries were colonies of the European countries. Yeah. They just yeah. never rescinded them in we, a way. Well, we mentioned we England have. guitar um, background as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I wouldn't be surprised I haven't looked into it. I wouldn't be surprised if it was um, uh, partly <laughs> partly uh, connected to our, uh, our doings there. Well, maybe, yeah. Also, whilst the FA didn't support women's football for decades, um, a lot of other countries that we might consider to be less liberal did support women's football. So, you know, we're we're all different. And, you know, I think um, not all differences are wrong, but, you know, some you're you're clearly hoping for progress in some areas, you know. On, we can't on, say everybody should be like, exactly like us. Yeah. I, the other thing with the migrant workers, you mentioned there, Chris, that there, there have been changes and conditions of, of, of improvement there for going forward. Hopefully that will be the case now. Um, there's been a lot of fuss about the numbers of people that have died, and it's, it's somewhere in between the two figures quoted, isn't it, really? Um, the Guardian are having to go, when they did their report, were going from just general reports of deaths that weren't accounted for Qataris have gone with a ludicrously small figure. Obviously, the real figure will be somewhere in between. And that's all, that's all done. We won't, we won't talk about that anymore because we've already covered it on the pod. Um, unless you've got any particular views to add. Well, to my, but, I'd just like to say something on this. I think in, in yeah. terms of, um, you know, deaths in, in industry or whatever, any death is wrong yeah. and, and absolutely, you know, completely wrong. And we, we need to avoid that in every construction industry, every industry. Around the world, um, and and clearly, you know, cancer standards weren't as good as they could have been. 
but they have certainly improved during the course of construction. And a lot of the kind of people that came in to help them build um, Stadia did insist on far higher safety standards, but also living standards hmm. for people that work there. So if that carries through and continues to improve, then you can say the World Cup has been a force for good in Qatar. And looking around, you know, they, they were actually operating to better safety standards than you see in lots of other parts of the world, even in, in um the shopping mall, you know, we weren't allowed to walk through a certain area because they consider that construction area. I'm sure years ago you'd have just sauntered through with, um, you know, equipment being moved around you. And when we did, you know, we were in Cairo finally, um, you could see that safety standards in terms of scaffolding, PPE, hard hats, boots, safety harnesses, you know, none of that was happening in Cairo. In Egypt. Yeah. In, in Egypt. Whereas in Qatar, they are operating to a better standard than they were before the award of the and tournament. That, we don't want to sound like apologists for the Qatar regime, because anyone who tries to sort of say any of these numbers almost gets criticised for being apologists for the Qatar mm-hmm. regime. We're, we're not. You know, we went there because we haven't missed an England game for the best part of 20 years that we've been allowed to go to. This is part of our life and part of our holidays and and you know we want to go there to see the football to enjoy the cultures and hopefully by the locals mixing with people like us and from you know the rest of the world they will see a different side to the world yeah well said and i mean i was particularly keen to get a, a balance from what i've said I've, I've had a good old pop at guitar but to get a balanced view and, and to 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 get some um first-hand experience um onto the pod in terms of you guys obviously being over there you can tell us a bit more about what's happened so you have done that which is great and um i think it does at least give that sort of gives more weight and um a lot more balance a bit more density to the to the whole matter i think and we should mention by the way there were there have been a couple of deaths um as well unfortunately i think there was a guy who was on a forklift truck, um, and he fell off the top of it. It was a bit of an uh, unfortunate death in terms of it wasn't far to fall, but he should have had a safety harness. And I think Qatari said it wasn't a World Cup tournament death because it was um, being handled by an outside company or something, but it was actually the training ground of Saudi Arabia. <laughs> you know what? We could do with if, if I think if they were um, kind of honest a bit more, I think that would be. I think that is the thing they've done themselves no favours, and you know you do have a lack of faith. You know, stopping that beer two down two days beforehand was a complete lack of faith. You actually have no, I have no faith in what they tell us, and so you know we're not believing what they tell us. The second death was a death on a, a, an oil structure, which today I saw reported in, reported in the Telegraph. He was actually. Potent, allegedly struck on the head by his Scottish workmates. <laughs> you know, just I think you know having more transparency, having better quality data, and actually being able to analyse it, and then driving towards you know zero injuries. You know, that's what. And until you reach the point of nobody is harmed while doing their job in any way, you know, you haven't got where you need to be on the journey towards you know safety and security. And, you know, the week we left, uh, someone sadly, very sadly, was killed at Sizewell B or C nuclear plant in, in England. 
And yeah. so, you know, industrial accidents do happen. What you do need is, as Janet said, is the transparency of the numbers yeah. so that we can trust them or not. And yeah. I don't really trust yeah. them. I don't trust what they tell us. And then you put in place the right processes and systems to ensure worker safety. And sadly, I think the Guardian's headline number mm. was totally misleading and it's just quoted out of context all the time. There is a number somewhere between mm. the, whatever they said, three and a half thousand and the three that FIFA were saying. And they've now, FIFA are now saying it's about 500, which possibly mm. sounds right, but who knows? But far too high. Mm. But there should be more transparency on that. And then... What have you done about it? Mm. How can you stop any other family having someone who doesn't come at home? And, oh, exactly. Yeah. Um, final bit, we'd, we'll have a quick break and then, and then quickly go on to the Albion after, after the break. But just on this, this um, section of the pod, one final bit, um, despite all the controversy about the building of the stadiums, the stadiums themselves, I have to say, look, absolutely stunning. Um, is it the Al Bate one that you mentioned earlier that's the one with the, the Bedouin tent style? Mm. I think you're the right yeah. one. Yeah. So we, you obviously, you went there three, three times then. Yes. Yeah. And, and obviously went to the other stadiums as well or some of the other stadiums. Um, what was your take on it from close up? You've mentioned obviously everything was clean and well organized, but. Uh, I mean, were they breathtaking, <laughs> impressive? Yeah, they looked different. They, they were stunning buildings. That that one, you know, not only is it it's a tent-like appearance from you know the outside and the distance, but inside, even the um, the paneling on the on the ceiling areas is kind of um, a tent, you know, woven tent effect. Wow. So the yeah. traditional textile patterns. So that, that it was stunning, and then some of the other stadia have, um, you know, they, they may be simple inside, but they've got beautiful kind of latticing, um, you know, framework around them and, and beautifully lit. So they were, you know, they are things of beauty actually. And if you were going to design a stadium, you design them like any of those. Because they were quite steep-sided. Too. They weren't too steep, so they didn't feel verticus. But they weren't like Wembley with a shallow bowl. You know, if you sat or even stood, you were ahead over the person in front of you. So you could pretty much see, because they were nice, tight stadium, quite straight up on the sides. Uh, you know, obviously brand new. The facilities out the back, the toilets, the food, walking around. The I mean, great view from every seat. So we it, had the cheapest category seats yeah, all the time. It was a fantastic great views. state of tournament for the TV as well. The 10 o'clock kickoffs and the views of the stadiums, I'm sure, look fantastic on the telly. And, of course, three of the England games were at 7 o'clock UK time, which yeah. was perfect for UK telly. And I'm sure that's why they did it. Hmm. Just before we do move on, I'm just going to mention the ticket prices in case anyone was sort of interested in ticket prices. Yeah, please do. So, for the, for, well, you got always get the cheapest ones because we find that even if you get the more expensive ones, you never get better seats really. So, the mm. cheapest prices for the group games were just about sixty pounds. Mm. Um, so, for the three group games, yeah, fifty-seven pounds the equivalent of. So, then for the round of sixteen, we paid eighty pounds. And for the England-France game, it was £172. So it got up quite a lot. And to pay £172 for the cheapest ticket mm. for yeah. a final is quite a lot. The semi-final yeah. cheapest ticket, £172. And the, and the final, which we had tickets for, conditional tickets, were £504 cheapest. Wow. So mm. it ratcheted up as you went through. So £57 is equivalent, I guess, to a Premier League match for the... But also, if you went up to the higher price ranges, it's almost three times as much. Mm, blimey. So, yeah, so for the, for the 
Category 3 tickets, the cheapest that we paid 57 for, the top price was 183 so you could pay £183. Mm. And because we go to all the games and we're what they call top cappers, we get first dibs on the tickets, so we always go for the cheapest. So the top price ticket for the final was 1340 So if you weren't like us regulars who got in there first because of their caps level, mm. you you had to go for a Category 2 or a Category 1 ticket just to get in. So the Category 2 tickets for the final were £836 a ticket, and the Category 1, as I said, were £1,340 a ticket. Uh, and so... That did put you off going to other games that you weren't particularly interested in. Yeah. You know, you could rash it up a lot of games. Most of the cheap tickets went to the fans from those countries. So if you were trying to look around for tickets for other games, you were paying £200 a ticket, sometimes more. Um, So that did make it expensive if you wanted to do that. And we went to another couple of games. We did get cheaper tickets. And one of the great ones that we saw was... uh, South Korea versus Ghana, so we saw Tarek Lamsey play. Excellent. Uh, which was brilliant. Mm. Sadly, yeah. we were too far away from him to actually yeah. carriage him, but it was yeah. great to see him play out there. A great, yeah. Yeah, great um, support from the Ghanaian fans. Yeah. They're really good. That's, right. that's, that's good to hear. Excellent. We saw Matty Ryan, didn't we? Yeah, because he was playing Australia. That's what we've got two yeah. or three ex players as well and as Aaron Moy was mm-hmm. playing for yeah. Australia. Yeah. And so we're back with Chris and Janet for the last part of this podcast, talking about their uh, travails uh, over in Qatar for the World Cup, um, a tournament which is in just effectively one city, and it's going to go from one extreme to the other next. The next tournament, which I am really not happy about, is going up to 48 teams. And they're talking, in fact, today, Infantino's talking about it being 16 groups of three each with two from the three qualifying, which sounds like it's just too much, isn't it? And it's going to be... It's stretched over three countries, which probably pretty much would need to be, but um, it sounds like a bit of chaos. And also Infantino today has announced that there's going to be a 32-club World Club um, Championship taking place in 2025, which again is insanity. The guy's an absolute nutter as far as I'm concerned. Any quick thoughts on that before we move on to another subject? Well, I think the um, the three teams per group um, concept is still under um, discussion, isn't it? I think that was the working model but subsequent to this World Cup they're saying well actually having four groups uh, or four teams per group makes sense but I think you know the issue is is you don't you know beyond a round of 16 you don't you don't want um you know zillions of um, teams going through to the next I think the quality would be diluted you'll have so many teams you know Scotland may even qualify and you'd be the the standard of the games you know Scotland against I mean Mm-hmm. Peru, they might even lose that as they do. But mm-hmm. the standard, the quality with four J teams would just be diluted. And also, if they have groups of three, you, you know, England could fly there um, all the way to Mexico. We could have two games, and then we could be out and have to fly home again. You know, as a fan, it's not good for fans yeah. to have yeah. to fly somewhere. Yeah. But now, Scotland probably would if they qualified. They'd probably fly there, have two yeah, games, really, then they'd be knocked yeah. out. They'd have to fly home. Teams that do compete are going to get one less game, the ones that don't get through a group. Exactly. At least we had three, you know, you guarantee three games. You can go for three group games. With groups of three, you'll only get two games. I guess the flip side. You've got to have bigger groups and therefore fewer teams, you know, only two from yeah. each group 
proceedings yeah. and why not groups of six? 48 yeah. countries is just a nonsense. You know, the yeah. 32 is at least divisible to 16 and 8 and 4 and 2 yeah. and 1. Yeah, I mean, it's good Good it'll get some nations to a tournament they wouldn't normally do. But the point is, you're supposed, you're supposed to be the publications. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, and also, I, I think it's one extreme to the other in terms of Qatar. Um, well, not so much Qatar, but with normal uh, tournaments so far, you'll get people converging into a, a fairly small area. Uh, the whole world converges from one place and you get interaction between fans. You'll know more about that than I will because I've not been to a tournament before. What you're going to get with this tournament is you're going to get it spread over three pretty large countries, particularly Canada and the US. And it's going to be, you're not going to have that tournament festival feel on anywhere near the same scale because everything's going to be so stretched out. But anyway, we won't dwell on that. Just very quickly on the World Cup then, since the last episode, and we've had the semi-finals. Argentina cruised through past Croatia in the end. 3-0 3-0 Messi with a penalty to go joint top on the scoring. Alvarez, Manchester City's reserve, with uh, two goals to finish them off. Um, in the other semi-final, Morocco, whose story was brilliant, obviously, you know, first Arab World Cup, and then you've got an Arab nation, North African nation, um, who get as far as the semi-finals, which is the first time ever. Ghana nearly did, as we mentioned, with the Suarez incident. But for the first time ever, an African nation did do so. And they gave a pretty damn good account of themselves in the end, losing 2-0 to goals from Hernandez and um, Muami. Uh, but um, a, a, a fantastic, um, I think, some, some great football on the pitch. Interesting, Sandy. Don't know if you've got any quick views on that. And also on the final, who you think might win it? I think Argentina. I think it's it's got Messi's name on it, I think. But what do you, what do you guys think? France are the favourites, aren't they? I mean, yeah, I mean, it should be really evenly balanced, shouldn't it? I think, you know, France has probably got more quality across the whole um, squad. Sorry, McAllister. But um, <laughs> but with Messi and McAllister, anything could happen, couldn't it? So Argentina could, you know, it could be their tournament. Yeah, yeah I, I must admit, I don't like the antics of the French. You know, I thought Griezmann should have been booked way before he was booked. And I think that would have had a big impact on the game because I think, you know, all his little fouls high up the pitch actually impacted the way that England played a lot. I don't like that. And they did that throughout and the ref actually seemed to encourage them and condone them in a lot of what went on in that game. So I don't like their antics. We didn't see the final because we were just about to fly home uh, the semi-final rather on that night. Um, uh, Argentina, I mean, we've been to Argentina and it, and it is a lovely country. We've been there several times. Uh, is it a country that, you know, we're that fond of, would it feel that warm about? The only reason I want them to win would be for McAllister, really. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those games. It's a bit like, you know, Crystal Palace playing someone else, Leeds United. You know, you don't really mind who loses <laughs> or you wish they both could lose. But yeah, yeah. hoping for Morocco v Croatia in the final. Yeah. Croatia would have been the TV wonder that FIFA yeah. deserved. I mean, Morocco, Argentina would have been incredible from the atmosphere point of view. But for me, I'd like like Argentina. The idea that a Brighton player could win the World Cup. I think that's that's it. Maybe he plays the key hand in in getting a bit. You never know. One shot from outside the area could be the And McAllister's there on merit for playing with Brighton. It's not like he's a has-been. You know, when he's on his way down and then yeah. he's sort of, he's dropped in at Brighton on the way through and it, all his good days are behind him. He's there because he's playing for Brighton and playing well for Brighton. He's, he's, he's at his peak Absolutely. playing for Brighton and he could win the World Cup. So in that sense, I think that would be a fantastic thing for Brighton for us. Let's hope he flies home and we give him a, a both sets of fans giving a, a guard of honour at Charlton on the, whatever day that is. I think that from what I read from Raymond today that he's likely to stay out there. 
there for in another Buenos week. Aires. But no. wouldn't it be brilliant if he came home and well, we all just clapped him as he walked around the pitch at mm. Charlton? That'd be great, especially because I'm not a saint, so uh, it would have to be the Charlton game for me. Yeah. <laughs> but I, mean, I would like I would like Messi to win it as well. I think he is he, he's the goat in terms of wrong spelling, G O T E, greatest of the era. I think I don't think yeah. there's a debate about it. Too much. Um, although some might argue on Ronaldo, but I really don't think he's quite on that level, especially proved by this latter-day surge that he's had in form. Um, is he the GOAT, the G-O-A-T? The, you know, that's that's for debate forever, isn't it, because of different eras. But I think one thing that would define him as a player for his career would be for him to win as well. I think he deserves it. I think he's he's been quite – you see all sorts of geniuses, whether it be Diego Maradona or whether it be a Paul Gascoigne. There seem to be a lot of problems – or precociousness attached to uh, to players of that of that ilk. Messi seems to be almost boringly kind of static in the way he goes about his football. I quite he like that. To wind up the Dutch though, didn't he? Oh yeah, just a bit. Otherwise, very grounded. Yeah, you could say in Argentina it is a sort of a great footballing nation. The fans love their football. They are knowledgeable about their football, and they're you know they're very passionate. So you know, I think you know in a book. The French, they have got um, quite a lot of mouths, haven't they? They they may be yeah. able to cope with some of the Argentinian antics that we've seen in some games. Exactly. So, far. so it could be a very good match for each other. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Good game, I mean, a good ref, and may the best team win. Yeah, whatever you think about that France-England game, the ref was terrible. Whether it affected the game or not, it's irritating to have such poor refereeing at that level of the yeah. game. And we really hope that won't be the talking point mm-hmm. in the final. Both teams, as you've said there, Janet, they've got the savvy. I think both of them have. Yeah. And it'll be interesting who can negate who in that regard. Yes. But it's not a coincidence those two teams made it to the final with a mixture of quality players and and Nels. And um, let's see what happens. Um, Moving away from the World Cup, though, um, well, unless you've got anything else to spell on that subject, I was going to steer around to the Albion backstories. Now, Chris, you say you've been on before. I can't remember if you you mentioned your backstory for Albion supporting, but would you care to divulge it again? I've made that briefly. Yes, so my first game was actually 1966. I saw Brighton beat Peterborough in uh, October 66, 5-2 it was. Mm. So that was my very first game, and I've been going ever since. I think my dad sadly just passed uh, for taking me uh, to that game. Myself, my sister, and he went to that game. And ever since then, we've been hooked. So I was six and a bit at, at the time, maybe nearly seven, I think. And, uh yeah, so... What's that? 56, 57 years of supporting the Albion. Um, now we go to nearly every game when, when we're not travelling. So home and away, you know, we'll go down to Southampton on Boxing Day. We go to Everton. I think we're going to give the Middlesbrough game a miss because we're going there several times, but that's to complete my 92, which, yeah, uh, the 92 football league grounds. And so we're going to go to. Fleetwood Town versus QPR FA Cup third round that day, and that would complete my 92. And it takes Janet up to somewhere in the mid 80s, so she's yeah. not far behind. Mm. Right. Okay. So you're you're almost almost level with us, Janet. So we might end up um, signing off at the same time, perhaps. We'll have to see. Yeah. If we can, um, I've got a bit of a count up. There's sort of a couple of rounds. I'm not sure if I went to the current ground or if yeah, it was the previous yeah. ground that I went to. So I really need to go through yeah. my records for yeah, that. Absolutely. Yeah. And my first Albion game was in 1978 when I was at university and um, in Southampton. But Chris organised for a group of us to come along to see Brighton play. So I went and saw them versus West Ham 
And the West Ham fans weren't very nice. <laughs> <laughs> Being pelted by coins and things so like that. West Ham fans, I can't believe it. But yeah, I still, you know, we uh, continue to go. So, yeah. Brilliant. So you, you go back a fair way. You had originally a different affiliation, didn't you, as well? I we did. Talking... Well, I'm a, I'm a West London girl and my family yeah. were from within a stone's throw of Stamford Bridge and my brother went to school there. So the first... Um, team I cared for was Chelsea 1970 playing Dirty Leeds in the FA Cup final and that's when I got interested in football and my dad wasn't into football my brother was but not my dad and he wouldn't let me go to Chelsea because it was too rough so I started going with my school friends to Brentford as a as a sort of a early teen, so it's to go there on my own because I could get there under my own steam quite easily. So I used to see Brentford, and, and for a long time we watched Brentford and Brighton in um, you know whatever divisions we were in pre kids. But, but then I did get a chance to go back to Chelsea a few times. Uh, yeah. But we've now as a maturity, but up. now I've cut up, I threw out all my old. <laughs> Chelsea memorabilia in oh, wow. protest wow. on the recent events. Not just the Potter stuff, but the mm. uh, Super League as well, mm. really. Yeah, well, that really upset me, the suggestions of the yeah. Super League. Mm. And when, when the kind of um, pilloting of uh, Brighton staff, I've kind of lost patience. Yeah. And there's actually something in the EU there. Somebody, I think, has uh, stated that they might be able to protect by law against clubs leaving under EU law. Um, so that might be interesting. That's another little aside. But um, anyway, yeah, so firm fans for a long time. Um, in terms of the World Cup, is there anyone you've seen you'd like us to sign for the either the transfer window coming up or in the summer? I thought the Morocco midfielders, I'm, I'm Amra, Amra, that's not, I think a bit too high profile, but his, um, his teammate in central mid, the number eight, is it um, Unahi, I think his name is. Um, would you like to see us try and get someone like him or... Uh, yeah, I can't say that I particularly noticed anyone well, because whenever we're there, we're either watching the England players or the Brighton players. And mm. and um, I, I don't know how it worked out that every time a Brighton player played, they seemed to come top of the scores, didn't they? <laughs> so when Ecuador played, the three top players were always the Brighton players. When Matoma no, played in Japan, he was the best player. And yeah. McAllister even outscored Messi for some of the games. So, you know, I think probably we got the best players there, certainly if you go by the scores that we've got. Yeah. Well, it seemed it seemed Brighton players um, did aid success on on the pitch. Trossard, Belgium, they kept not playing him. They kept not doing well. They got knocked out. And McAllister, they didn't they didn't win with him. Not in the team. Um, yeah. Of course, he had the shot with the Saudis um, uh, beating them. And then, of course, as soon as they started playing him as a starter, they got all the way to the final. Coincidence? Probably. <laughs> no, maybe not. <laughs> but there we go. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's pretty much it, I think, so far. The only other thing was, um, any other thoughts about um, this season and the Albion? Obviously, we've, we've not had you on to talk about it before for this year. Um, there's been the Potter upheaval and, you know, Deserby coming in. He's done brilliantly so far, hasn't he, all things considered, I think. Would you agree with that? And, and how have you found the season overall, guys? Yeah, I mean, it's been a fantastic season um, so far. Um, and, you know, I think that Deserby hopefully will be a, an upgrade on Potter. Um, and that, that we'll, we'll love him. We love him as a character. He seems to do and say the right things and he shows the right sort of passion and stuff. His playing style is quite nerve-wracking. You know, it is... <laughs> Pass it out from the back in the extreme. 
And, suicide passes. <laughs> yeah, and so far I don't think they've actually made a mistake yet and given it away that's cost them a goal, but at times it look, looks, your sort of heart's in your mouth really while you're watching some of the passing going on. But they've got away with it, but it does make for an entertaining game. I mean, it was fantastic to beat Chelsea and then, you know, the away win at Arsenal in recent yeah. times, disappointing the last game, but hopefully, you know, we'll be back on it against Charlton and, and Southampton away. And the players look like they're having fun, don't they, on on the pitch? And and certainly, Deserby seems to have respect for the fans as well as you know what's going on on the pitch, which is really lovely to see. In some ways, it's you know a shame we've had this hiatus for the um, World Cup, and that you know we've not been able to continue the progress that we've seen. But I think I've got faith that yep. he'll, he'll get them back on. And, know, and performing as they should. Yeah, and, you know, it, it shouldn't really dwell on those that have gone, but, you know, reading what Cucurello has just said this week and also what Potter said recently, I mean, good riddance, really. And, you know, I'm pleased that we've got the ones now who want to be here. Mm. Absolutely. And I, I went to the, um, there was a, a fans forum invite um, for supporter groups and I was oh. able to attend that. And that was brilliant. I mean, I, I just love the guy even more deserving now. He's, uh, but Paul Barber seemed a lot more strangely relaxed and more jovial. <laughs> um, Deserby, I think was brilliant. Uh, his, his uh, interpreter, who's one of his assistants is, was brilliant as well. And David Weir was excellent value. That was a good event. Um, but Deserby, I think has just uh, completely sold me now, uh, yeah. on the, on Deserby ball and Deserby persona. That's <laughs> great. Yeah. Long may it last. Indeed. Indeed. And on that note, it seems a good way to sign off you guys have got to go I've got to go as well so um, we'll leave it there but it's been brilliant to have you both on thanks Janet thanks Chris for joining us and um, we'll maybe get you on again in the future um, but um, in the meantime let's hope we can all enjoy the res- resumption of Premier League football now and yeah. the League Cup um, no doubt I'll see you at the League Cup uh, for the Charlton game which is next up for the Albion oh yeah we're all around to Peter's house should we advertise that <laughs> yes Peter my co-host is is having a load of open people open house yeah. With hospitality, I hear. Yep, all eight thousand of us going around. I think. Yeah. <laughs> well, we have to do the pre um, the ticket checks there. Yeah, no, no one's got their ticket yet. This could okay. be chaos, couldn't it? <laughs> oh dear, never mind. Well, on that note, then, thank you again to Janet and Chris, and I'll sign out in the usual way by saying, "Stand or fall, Stand or fall up the Albion, up the Albion." <laughs> And in fact, I do have to add the epilogue to this episode, having now seen the final on the Sunday, three o'clock kickoff, which went to, in the end, extra time and penalties, and Argentina triumphed. So, Senor Alexis McAllister, Esquire, is a world champion, a current Brighton and Hove Albion player and a world champion. How proud are we all about that and how happy we are for him. A fantastic achievement. It was Without doubt, Messi's final World Cup, he's already said so himself, he's 35 years old. It's definitely was always going to be his final World Cup. And for a while, it looked like they may not make it. Some other good teams in there, Brazil, France, maybe even England could have challenged. But when it came down to it, they got to the final and they absolutely battered France for about 79 minutes. France were bent over a table having their bottom spanked. But no, in the end, out of the blue, they concede a penalty, which Mbappe buries to square um, the golden boot scoring, by the way, up onto six each with Messi at that stage. But then he goes ahead on the golden boot just 90 seconds later after a mistake by none other than Lionel himself. A breakaway move and boom, 90 seconds gone, out the blue, France are back in it, it's two all. It goes to extra time. 
What happens? Well, could it be the the proverbial Hollywood script or an Argentinian fairy tale? Could Messi be the one to get a winning goal? I was thinking of that. I was thinking maybe even Alexis McAllister could become one of the most famous players in Argentina's history by scoring a winner. Maybe it could be him. But the, the script seemed to be written for Messi. And sure enough, there was a breakaway, a marginal onside call and Messi put the prodded the ball over the line from close range. It was clear by a defender just afterwards, so it was already over the line. Uh, he went running off to the side of the touchline, right near all the Argentina fans, the major bulk of them, and he was buried under an absolute pile of Argentina players for what seemed like minutes on end as they celebrated what surely must be a spectacular and complete and utter um, fairy tale ending to the match. No, it wasn't. Because what happened was... Mbappe took back that golden boot. He equalised again because Argentina gave away a penalty and he buried it. Mbappe put that and later on in the penalty shootout, his third penalty, all three of them went to Mbappe's left, the goalkeeper's right, interestingly. Anyway, all three of them were converted. In terms of the open play, that second um, penalty of his well, made it a hat-trick. He is only the second player, I think this is right, second player in history um, to score a World Cup final hat-trick. The last, of course, being Jeff Hurst when he was on the winning side for England in 66. This time, Mbappe has conspired to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final and not be on the winning side because they went and lost the, the shootout. But you've got to hand it to France. They didn't give up, did they? They were buried, dead and buried for almost all the game. And you know what football's like. One chance, one moment can turn things. The psychology... Not completely, but to a fairly large degree had changed. And yet Argentina battled back and then survived another late worry as they had the equaliser in open play. And it wasn't even over there because then France, on a breakaway, had a one-on-one with the goalkeeper. Martinez, he's a real shithouser, but he is a cracking goalkeeper. And he saved one-on-one with his feet, with his left foot. And not only that, there was a counter-attack off the back of it, went up the other end, and Argentina had a chance, but they headed way off target. What either way round could have been a, an even more dramatic end to open play normal time. As it was, it went to a shootout, 4-2 in the end. McAllister had been substituted very late into extra time, so he wasn't one of the penalty shootout takers. But, you know, the job was done, Messi scored his goal, And I think what you have to say, two or three things about this match. First of all, it was an excellent final, played in the right spirit. There wasn't too many shenanigans going on. There wasn't too much physicality, which was a fear people had. These two sides are savvy and know how to get to finals and win. That wasn't the case. Secondly, the referee was absolutely excellent. Forget his name offhand, but Polish ref, bald head, looks a bit like um, the, the classic Italian ref, Kalina. But he is a fantastic ref. He put, he was worthy of the World Cup final and was superb. It's always a joy to be able to praise a referee. Doesn't happen often enough. And thirdly, it was, I think, a match where you could, you could call a joint man of the match award for three players. One of them has to be Mbappe. He scored a hat trick. Even though he was quiet for most of the game, he still had a huge influence on how the drama played out at the end. Messi who scored two and was absolutely sensational, not least in the build-up to the second goal, where he received a flick ball on from McAllister. He flicked it deliciously with the outside of his boot. The ball was then played from a right-wing side 
forwards, I think it was Paul, I can't remember who it was, played forwards, and McAllister, who as soon as he passed to Messi, had made a run, ran onto the ball, was through, nearly on goal, he had a defender bearing down on him, the angle's maybe not so favourable, and he did the right thing and passed across to the unmarked Di Maria, and Di Maria buried it with a plomb to make it 2-0, that was the earlier chance in the game. And I think that, as well as Mbappe, Messi and McAllister are joint men of the match in this game. I think that would only be the fair way to call it, and not just because I'm an Albion fan. I genuinely think that that is the best call on that score. So, the fairy tale did happen. Not quite in the most um, perfect way. Maybe Messi would have liked that goal to make it 3-2 to have been the winner, I'm sure. But I'm pretty sure he'll be happy enough. The fans went mad. The look of joy in his face. The camaraderie amongst the team. And to see a Brighton player celebrating with a winner's medal. Kissing a trophy that is the most famous football trophy in world football. And to be celebrating with those fans. What a joyous, joyous occasion for both Messi and for McAllister. And of course for all of the other players in that team. But... I'm delighted that what I believe to be the greatest player of all time, I think he edges it over Maradona because he did it much more consistently in his 17-year career than Maradona did. Maradona had fits and starts. He only had two sensationally good years and one or two other pretty good years. He won a Scudetto. He won some other trophies. But really, Messi, in terms of trophies, in terms of consistency, um, he's right up there. And now he's got that World Cup trophy in the cabinet as well. You have to say that there's a compelling case for him to be the greatest of all time. And anybody who's got any slightest notion that Ronaldo is in the, is in the discussion is absolutely off their heads because he doesn't really compare. He's an astonishingly good footballer, but he's not in the same league as Messi. And Messi now has the World Cup to brag about as well if he was that sort of a person. But he isn't really, is he? So a superb day's football. It was... You have to say begrudgingly because of where it's held and all the controversies around the tournament. Uh, begrudgingly, you might call it. It's been a fantastic football tournament on the pitch. One of the best. Um, I don't think it was necessarily the best, as Infantino, of course, was all too quick to say. Um, but he's talking about the tournament organisation as well, though, anyway, in his case. But it was one of the best tournaments, I think. Some great shocks. Japan's comeback... Um, from behind wins. Saudi Arabia shocking the eventual champions. Argentina coming from behind themselves to win that game. Who knew how that was going to turn out, turn out at the time? Um, some other fantastic matches and we've got what's probably the best final of all time to talk about. It finished in the end three all in normal time, 4-2 on penalties to Argentina. Congratulations to them. I guess this does mean that uh, Ali Mack isn't going to be back quite as soon as we might have hoped as they'll be off celebrating. Apparently they're going back to Argentina for a procession and uh, a few days of celebrating there. So I don't think he's going to quite be there at Charlton away on Wednesday. <laughs> but anyway... How to add this epilogue because it was a sensational time and I think we can all say we're proud of him. And to say but Brian have a player who played in a World Cup final, let alone won it, um, is just almost too much to, to believe really. And to hear Guy Mowbray, the excellent BBC commentator, flagging our names up on a number of occasions, talking about Brighton and Nova Albion, talking about Seagulls fans must be pinching themselves and all this sort of thing. Well, I certainly was because it was, it's almost unbelievable, but it happened. It happened, folks. We have a world champion in our midst and the, the reception for him when he comes back, I'm sure will be truly phenomenal.
Anyway, that rounds up this episode. Thanks again to Chris and Janet for joining me in the earlier part of it. And thanks again to Peter, as always, of course. I'm my co-host with a couple of our earlier roving, ground-hopping segments that we had at the beginning of the episode. Our next one will be probably with a special guest. Not quite sure what's happening at the moment. But until then, it's back to domestic football. Albion are away at Charlton. I'll be there. We might do a match day special. In fact, we probably will. So that that actually will be the next episode. And, um, And then, of course, we've got the Boxing Day visit to Southampton and Arsenal coming to town on New Year's Eve. Those are the upcoming fixtures. So I'll speak to you next time from the Charlton game. Until then, stand or fall, up the Albion. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.